So today is a, a unusual Sunday. If you're visiting with us, we're, we're really glad that you're, you're here. Um, immediately after the service, we are, our, our vestry and our building team are going to share with you some updated plans and a proposal for what we believe that God is leading our church to in this next season. It, it's been a, about a two-year process to come to this place of prayer, of learning patience, <laughs> and I have a feeling it's only the beginning of that. Um, so I, I'm going to be rather brief so that we don't feel rushed on the back end. And, and I'm going to ask you, even if you're visiting, if you would, we're going to go straight into that moment of sharing. We're going to be as efficient as possible with your time. And as soon as the formal kind of time of presenting is over, you're free, you're, you're free to go. Of course, we're not going to hold you hostage, even if you try to leave before that. But we'd love for you to stay. But we'll also provide some time for Q&A. If you need to get out of here, um, please do that. But we want to make sure that we're not rushed and that there is time for you to ask questions if you would like to do that. So... I do have to share with you, there was not a class in this sort of process in seminary. You should know that. Um, nothing prepared me <laughs> for what we've gone through in the last two years and the things that we've been trying to discern together and pray through as a leadership. And I will share with you also, uh, the, the way that our church structure is set up is that decisions are made in a very shared way. And so, as the pastor, I lead in many of the spiritual elements of the life of our church. The vestry, as you'll hear about later, is responsible for all financial-related matters, and that includes um, buildings, meeting spaces, all those kinds of things the vestry holds responsibility for. And in this situation, the vestry has delegated responsibility to the building team to discern what it looks like for us to move into this next season, how much that costs, what the kind of space we need, all of that. And so this has been a, a shared process, a shared effort. What I sense is my work before you today, primarily, is to do what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, where he says that you are to set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want to say that again. That all of us, if we're to live a truly human life, are to set our hope completely on the grace of God that is to be revealed in Jesus Christ. Buildings are not an end in themselves. They're a means to a greater end. That is, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. If this building is provided, which I believe God wants to do that, it will not be just for the building. It will be that we faithfully serve the Lord Jesus with that place. So in the ancient world, um, gift giving was a big part of the culture. All right? People who study ancient cultures have even um, labeled this gift economies, gift cultures. And that sounds great, doesn't it? To live in a gift culture 
we talk a lot today about um, this idea of love languages, where all of us have uh, ways that we express love and receive love, right? And there's serving, there's gift giving. Um, Does anybody remember any of the others? I can't remember right now. Anyway, they didn't talk about it in that way. That wasn't the point of this gift giving. Imagine it kind of like a circle. When people gave a gift, it sort of puts you in debt when you received their gift. And you were supposed to give a gift to get out of debt. That sounds like a fun gift-giving culture, doesn't it? Here's what that meant. It meant that people who were wealthy usually did not give gifts to people who were not wealthy. Because the people who were not wealthy could never give a gift to repay the people who were wealthy. People who were not wealthy didn't give gifts to people who were wealthy. They could never give them anything that compared to the life that they were able to live. So really, it functioned the gift giving like a circle, this revolving circle. And it, and it was a closed circle. So there were some people who lived in one circle of gift giving, and then other people who lived in another circle of gift giving, Right? It was a gift-giving economy. This was how people lived. And it's into that world that Christianity shattered every expectation. Because the God of the Bible, the God who created everything, comes into that world and says, I am the giver of every good and perfect gift. And when the Bible talks about grace, it describes it as the greatest gift that could ever be given. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And he's talking about God's grace. You see, God sends His Son to shed what Peter calls His precious blood to cover our sin. God gives this most precious, indescribable gift of Himself. And He knows that you will never be able to repay Him. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or not wealthy, you can never repay God for the gift that He gives of His forgiveness and His love. So, so think with me about this circle this circle that's a closed circle that you can't get in on if you don't have enough money, whatever. God comes in and he explodes the circle because he says, I'm the only one who can give this gift. And the only thing that you can do in response is live a life of deep gratitude. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You see, God God is the only one who can give a gift and not go back and look at his bank account and wonder how it's doing. Now, some of us may not look at our bank account, but that has an end to it, right? That'll lead us to a place where we won't be able to give gifts anymore. God, because of his, genera- his wealth, gives his own son, and he continues to give, to give forgiveness and to give love. Now, here's the thing about human beings. We live with what's called a a scarcity mentality. That means that we believe there's only so much to give, only so much to go around. 
And this is what's happening in that weird passage that CJ had to read. I'm sorry, CJ, that Kelly asked you to read that. You see, God tells his people, go spy out this land that I'm going to give you. Go see what kind of people are in that land. Are they strong or are they weak? Are the cities powerful and strong or are they weak cities? How great is this land? The amazing thing in this story is that God never tells them to draw any conclusions based on how strong or how weak the people are. He doesn't. He tells them, just go see. The problem is that we always draw conclusions. They go in, they see how wonderful the cities are. This is the point of all that business about there being grapes that they're able to bring back. It's all about God's grace. Listen, God tells his people over and over again, I'm going to give you cities that you didn't build. It's grace. You didn't build these cities, but I'm going to give them to you. He sends them into the land. They see how strong the people are, how large they are. And instead of asking what God wants to do about that, they draw the conclusion, we can never take that land. We're not strong enough. But Caleb and Joshua stand up in the midst of the people and say, if God is pleased with us, he will give us this land. Do you see, it's not about whether we're able to do something or not. It's whether God wants us to do something or not. And if God wants us to do something, then he will enable us to do it. What what I want to say to you very clearly is that Church of the Lamb cannot do this on our own. We absolutely cannot. And even if we did, all that we would get out of it is pride and attaboys for ourselves. You see, this is what humans do. We live between scarcity and pride. Either we don't have enough and we'll never have enough, or we provide for ourselves and we're strong enough on our own. Uh, There's this great little book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's about 40 pages long and you could live with it for the rest of your life. And Tim Keller, the pastor who writes this book, says that human beings live like balloons. We're blown up sometimes, we're self-inflated with ourselves, or we live in such deep insecurity that we're like the deflated balloon. And where God really wants us to live is with a sense of His sufficiency and His power to work in our lives. So again, what I'm wanting to exhort us to do is to set our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. We believe that God wants us to do this. How will He do it? Because He can do it. Will that take great sacrifice? Absolutely. Will it take God surprising us? Absolutely. Can God do it? Absolutely. We believe that God wants us to do this. And I want to remind you very quickly why I think God wants us to do this because I believe that God wants Church of the Lamb to be an outpost of His kingdom on this place that He's given us. An outpost of His kingdom where Peter says that we are to grow in brotherly love for each other. We're to become a family of God together. And so that home for Church of the Lamb is to be a place where we grow as a family that loves each other deeply 
because of Jesus. But that's not just for ourselves. This is also to be an outpost of the kingdom that shines the light of Jesus into the world, that welcomes others into the love of God. I really believe that that land is to become a center for hospitality that models the Father's deep love for the world like the parable of the prodigal son where the Father is waiting for people to come and to come back to Him and to know His deep love for them. And so that's why we would do this is so that people can see the lavish love of God for the world. Daniel wrote an article here just a little bit ago about uh, why we were planting uh, an orchard on our property. And I thought this was wonderful because I really think this, while this building is wonderful and I think we need it, it's also part of just the infrastructure that we need to build a home on that property, to just be able to use it well. And so, you know, we're planting this orchard and Daniel was writing about why we're doing this. And he, he wrote in there, you can tell folks to taste and see that the Lord is good, but that sounds more credible when they're holding glasses of apple cider that you pressed from your own apples. And he talks about having uh, juice from peaches rolling down your chin as you're testifying to the goodness of God. I believe the property in its beauty, the property in its quietness, the property in its public face to the park across the street that people are there all the time is to be an outpost for the kingdom of God where we shine the love of Christ into the world and not just us. Listen, this is the beginning and we pray that if Jesus does not return, people will be worshiped in in these places for generations to come. So everything that we're doing here It's because of the grace of God in our own lives and the grace that we believe He wants to pour out for future generations and for the love of the world. Amen.